my prayer this morning is that I can do two things. One, that I can share with you about Spectrum and, and kind of tell you what the ministry is about. But at the same time, I hopefully can encourage you in sharing your faith as well and being a part of, a, of, of the kingdom work here in Muskegon. Because, you know, I, I think that the church is only as strong as the people in it. And, and, and it's on each of us as members of the church to go out and do our part. There's a lot of dark places in Tijuana. It's, it's really the devil's playground. He's got a firm grip on, on many of the neighborhoods that we work in. But there's a lot of dark places right here, aren't there, it, that need the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine in and show his love and bring salvation. So my hope is that as I share about the work in Tijuana, that God would work in your heart about the work here in Muskegon, the mission field that he's called you to. Um, I want to go ahead and just spend a moment praying uh, to that end. Lord, it's not about the sheet of paper here in front of me, the, the words that I put on it. It's about your word. It's about the things that you want to say to each of us here today. Lord, we welcome your spirit here to be present to do his work of bringing conviction, of leading into truth, of glorifying you and helping us to see your power, your might, your salvation, your majesty, to, to be able to discern the things that you want to do and, and to work those things out in our own lives. Lord, give us strength and power to do that. So please, as we, as we spend time here this morning, I pray that your spirit would be at work doing those things, and we ask this in your name. Amen. I recently uh, read about a court case in the state of Massachusetts way back in 1922. And uh, what had happened was there was a guy who was taking a walk by the ocean. He's walking out on this pier. He's walking along and doesn't see this rope that's coiled up on the pier. He's gazing out at the ocean, and he ends up tripping over the rope and falling into the ocean. The water was choppy that day. The waves were big. The water was cold. And he wasn't a very good swimmer. And before long, he started to struggle. And he starts gasping. And he starts crying out for help. And, and his family is quite a, quite a ways off on the beach. They didn't know where he was. They could maybe hear his faint cries, but they didn't know what to do or where to go. And, and, uh, and as he's going down, there was somebody that was nearby. It was a gentleman that was just enjoying his day. He was, uh, had a lawn chair, or a lounge chair, I guess, that he's sitting on. And uh, just taking in the sun, he's sunbathing. Probably got a drink next to him, um, a little umbrella in it. And as this guy is going down, as he's struggling, crying out for help, the guy in the lounge chair is doing nothing. Doesn't lift a finger. Turns his head, sees the guy struggling, but never gets up out of his chair to go and help the man. And the guy eventually went down for the last time and he drowned. When the family heard out about this, this is a true story, when the family heard about this and found out about what had happened, they were outraged, they were incensed, they couldn't believe that this man in the chair wouldn't take the time to get up and help their loved one. They, he wouldn't, not, you know, maybe he's not a good swimmer, but he could cry for help, right? Get somebody over to get this guy out of the water and save his life, but he did nothing. They were so mad that they took him to court. That's the court case. And they sued him for not helping the man when he was dying. So the judge heard the case, he comes back, and sadly and, reg and regretfully declares that the man is not guilty. 
not guilty. By law, this man is not obligated to get out of his lounge chair, put down his drink, and save that guy's life. Legally, he, he's not obligated. But morally, that's a different story. Morally, he should get up and help. What about us for our daily lives? What, what about me? Do I get up and help when I see somebody next to me struggling with something that they're going through? Or, or, or dying spiritually and not hearing the word of God. What about me? Do I get up out of my lounge chair and take time out of my day, maybe my comfort, maybe financially to, to help somebody who is in need? What do we do? Are we listening? Are we listening? Because God is at work, right? Jesus is in, in the business of saving people. We know that when that guy is going down next to us, Jesus is there already calling out to him, wanting to do something about it, and he wants to involve us in it. Are we listening? We must be listening. We must be seeking God. We must be on the lookout for what he is doing. We must be ready when he prompts us to jump in the water. Sometimes the water's cold, right? Sometimes we don't feel like getting in the water, right? Sometimes it, it's, it's, it's work. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. If you're in the business of listening, to God and obeying his prompting. It's never boring. <laughs> it's never boring if you're in that place. Um, if your Christian life maybe lacks some purpose or some vision, committing to listening to God and doing what he says will put you on a path and a direction that you will never regret. You'll see God in real ways. I mean, how can we see God's power when we never step out and, and, and have to rely on it, right? We, we, we can stay in our comfort zones, or we could be listening to God and, and do the things that he calls us to do. As a youth pastor in cold water, I was comfortable. <laughs> I really was. I'd been there nine years. You know, it's to the point, and I don't, you probably don't do this, but um, when, you know, I have the sheets from last year's Cedar Point trip, and I don't have to make new flyers. I just change the date, change the time. Everything else is the same put it out, you know. I, I was comfortable. I was, I was a soccer coach down there. I enjoyed coaching soccer. My family, we're, we were comfortable, and I think that might have been the issue. Um, but I'd been bringing groups from my church down to serve with Spectrum for years, and I always would tell the students, listen, we're here serving, but man, you got to bring it back to cold water, right? Mexico is not our mission field. That's what I would tell them. Then one day, <laughs> I got a call from the former director, and he said, Matt, I have to, here's how he put it to me. I'm out mowing the lawn at my house in Coldwater, and Becky comes out with the phone, and, and he, he gets on the phone. His name is Aaron. He said, Matt, I have something that's going to wreck your day. That's how we started the conversation. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, he said, I have a question for you. And I said, what's that? He said, I'd like to ask you to come and consider being director of Spectrum Ministries. I never saw it coming. I knew he was leaving. He was going to Ecuador to, to, to work in a missions agency there in Quito, Ecuador. And I didn't, I didn't think he was going to. I never saw myself as director. I was the youth pastor, right? That's what I did. But the, the, the question was presented to me. And so I came in and talked to Becky, and uh, we went in the bedroom, you know, put a video on for the kids. It was one of those conversations where you close the door so they don't hear any yelling just in case. And, um, and I told her what Aaron had asked me, and, and she couldn't believe it, and I couldn't believe it. And, and, and you know, we're just struggling, trying to wrap our heads around the, the magnitude of what was being asked of us. And, and finally we said, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, 
but we should pray about it. And we began to listen, and we began to pray about it. And for a long time, I didn't think anything was going to happen, but as time went on, God just has a way of putting little things in place, little things in place that show you that, yes, this is what, what he wants you to do. And, and we began to see it, and it began to become more real to us, and, and we were still so scared to, to make any steps, but we knew that God was, was moving us in this direction to at least explore it. And so we finally took a trip there to, to Tijuana as an exploratory trip, a weekend to say, God, we're willing to go wherever you want us to go. It took us a little while to get there, but we got there. We're willing to go. Now is this where you want us to go? And so we, we went on that trip, and God showed us a lot of things on that trip, how the ministry was moving in a direction that was on my heart. And uh, God kind of gave us some, some clarity with that and some unification with that. And then he showed us other things, too, that we could survive there as a family. And they had a Walmart. Um, they had a Home Depot. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah, I can do this. Um, they had some things in that area where we'd be living that I could relate to, you know. And um, then on the last day we were there, it was a Sunday, and we went to a church. And it was a Calvary Chapel in Rosarito, Mexico. It's bilingual. And as we're sitting there, the sermon that day, they could have been anywhere in the scriptures. The sermon that day was Mark chapter 2, verse 13, which is the calling of Levi, whose other name is Matthew, which happens to be my full name. Right, Mom? Um, and it, that was the sermon that day. And so the pastor's up there saying, so Jesus called Matthew to leave behind his comfort, to leave behind his job, to leave behind <coughs> Hold on. <laughs> his family. Wasn't expecting that. It's, um, I guess because family's here. Uh, life, <coughs> life as he knows it, to come and follow him. Get out of the comfort zone is what he was saying to Matthew. And um, my son, who was 13 years old at the time, his mouth kind of hanging open saying, Dad, is God really calling us by name right now? And, and, and he, he was. We got it. And we were sure. We were certain of it. And as, as scary as it was to make that commitment, and to leave behind, I was even more scared of not being where God wanted me to be in the middle of his will. I was even more scared of being comfortable and not getting it and being kind of sitting on the sideline in the kingdom of God. And so we committed to go. We committed to go. And it's been messy. And it's been uncomfortable. But it certainly has not been boring. Are you listening? That's the first step, really, to engaging in, in missions, to engaging in kingdom work. That's the first step is to be listening to God and determine to go where he wants you to go and do what he wants you to do. How do you start? How do you start living this way? How do you start um, looking to share your faith more? How do you start engaging with the people around you? If God is calling you to go and share with someone, how do you do that? The way Spectrum's done it, traditionally, over the years, is to build relationships. Um, the unique thing about Spectrum Ministries is we have been in the neighborhoods that we're in for a, a long time, some dating back to the late 60s, early 70s, some of our neighborhoods. The, the, the most recent one is about 15 years old. So we're not kind of in for a day and then out. We're digging into people's lives. We're getting to know them. We're building relationships. Uh, when I first moved here, I asked one of our staff members, Efren, to show me around. Efren's 61 years old, and uh, he's in charge of our house build. Figured a good guy to ask about the history of Spectrum, because he was a part of one of the orphanages when he was a kid that our ministry originally started going into. And so he got in the car. We're going to meet at a certain place in time. He got in the car, and uh, 
we went back in time. He told me, it is now 1965. That's what he told me. And we went to the orphanage where he grew up and, uh, and some of our other Spectrum staff as well. And he told me about the food that they would eat, rice and beans every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, rice and beans. That's what they would have, and they were thankful to have it. He talked about kind of the Darwinian survival of the fittest. You had to be strong there to survive. He talked about the punishment that the orphanage director would dole out. He talked about how if, if uh, they did something wrong, they would have to stand out in the hot sun with books in their hands for an hour. He talked about the abuse, both physical and sexual abuse, that went on there. And he went on to describe and tell me how Spectrum would come and visit and bring food and play games and would take them out to serve. He talked about the impact that the ministry had. He and then, then he took me from there. We went to the original Tijuana dump. Uh, the dump had moved and it filled up, and it was now a neighborhood. And for years, it's been a neighborhood. He talked about, though, when it was a dump, the food that they would, they would bring in, they would wash kids. He said the kids were so filthy and covered with soot and, and stuff from the dump that they would, when they would wash them, you know, they, sometimes they would wash them and the kid would be white. And they're like, man, how'd you get here? You know, <laughs> so I don't know what that kid's story was, but, you know, just some of the, the strange stories that they would come across. And, um, but the thing is, we still have an outreach in that neighborhood today. It's called Pana Americana. I got to say it in my Mexican accent there. Um, and we still do hygiene. Some of the things that we saw up there, the washing feet, we do lice treatments. We do haircuts. Uh, the moms get vegetables. They get clothes, play games, give out candy and prizes. Um, I remember one time I was on a prayer walk with Efren, and he sees a lady who he obviously knew. He went over and greeted her. They hugged. He talked with her for a little bit. Uh, he came back to me. He said, Matt, do you know who that was? And I said, no. He said, um, you know the little pink envelopes that Spectrum has with, uh, so like if you give to Spectrum, you'll get a little pink envelope. And on the back of the envelope, there's this picture of a little girl and maybe her brother. She's probably like six. He said, that's the girl. Really? And then he said, yeah, how, do you know how old she is now? I said, no, 50 years old, 50 years old. And I thought, man, that tells me two things. One, we need to update our material because <laughs> we're overdue. <laughs> That's a long time coming. But um, two, it just speaks to those relationships. I mean, if you think about over the course of those years of ministering to her as a little girl, and now she's 50, all the lives that have been touched, all the help that's been given, all the love of Jesus Christ that's been shown in those neighborhoods, we've built trust. We've earned the right to speak into their lives. We've been showing them that love of Christ. Uh, that verse that was up on the, the, uh, the screen earlier, Matthew 25, 37 through 40, it says, Then the righteous will answer him, Jesus, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Many of these things you'll do while on a spectrum trip, and it's been our theme verse for years and years. Go show the love of Christ. Do this for Jesus, reach out for the, to them and show them his love. How does all this come together to share the gospel? You know, sometimes it just opens the door for conversations, you know, why are you doing this? But oftentimes you'll find our ministry impacts people in different ways and opens the door for them coming to know Christ. I think of the story of Gladys and her son, Angel. Um, we met them at our activity. 
just like this that came out. They live in one of our neighborhoods. Got to know them a little bit. We also do every Monday night, we do a kids club. It's kind of like a wanna for kids in one of our neighborhoods. And um, one of our guys, Dave Dixon, will take his big white 15-passenger van. It's down into their neighborhood called the Arroyo. It's down this dirt road. And he goes in, and it's like the party van. You know, kids just run to it, and they're like, okay, let's get in the van, and let's go to kids club. And so they pile in, and it's it's definitely not legal in the States. They do it there, but it's like packed kids just crammed in this van, and they take them up to kids club. Well, one day, Angel wanted to get in as well and go see what it was about, so he did. Angel got in, and um, he knew Dave from the activities, and so his mom trusted Dave, and, and they went and went to kids club, and he loved it. He had a blast. And it wasn't too long after that that Dave went to pick up Angel again, and he noticed that Angel and his mom Gladys are outside talking. And so as he approaches, they're, they're, they're actually learning. His mom's helping Angel learn the memory verse. And so they're going back and forth. So you have two non-Christians quoting scripture to each other, which I love that. And, um, but the verse that day, the, the memory verse was Ephesians 2.10, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. And all of a sudden for Gladys, like the light bulb turned on. And she looked at Dave and she said, that's what you guys do. You do good. You do good. And Dave, Dave, I'm not this fast on my feet, but Dave thought there's two verses before that too. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, but the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And he got a chance to share about God's grace that day. Later on, they were in desperate need of a house and a group from Michigan actually came down in uh, Bronson, Michigan, came and built a house for Angel. And it's this continued testimony, it's this continued pouring into their lives, the continued earning trust, building relationships. And, and one day, Gladys gave her life to Christ. And she is a believer today. She's a believer today. She's going to a local church. She has her struggles. It's tough to, to live where she lives. Her husband still uses drugs, and, and she's dealing with that, but she's in church. She's reading her Bible. She's learning. She's growing, and she's part of a Bible study that we're doing. So it's all that time and effort, and how does that relate to us? You know, one of the keys to sharing the gospel, whether you're in ministry or, you know, in your, in your daily neighborhood or where you work, is being trustworthy, showing agape love. A, a lot of us think agape love is love someone no matter where they're at, no matter what they've done. All that's true, unconditional love. But it's also a proactive reaching out, out of your comfort zone, wanting the best for somebody kind of love. That's the kind of love that, that is different in this world. And that's the kind of love that God is calling us to. The old saying, they don't know how much you care. Oh, I'm sorry. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care reaching out and showing love. And then you have to put words to it as well. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You have to put words to it and give the reason why you're showing that love. Point them back to Christ. Engaging in the kingdom work. What happens next when someone gives their life to the Lord? Discipleship. You have to be about discipleship. Bringing people to church um, and, and discipling them. You know, we know Jesus... It takes a lot of time to disciple. It takes a lot of personal involvement. Uh, Jesus really only took 12 guys with him, right? That's all he bit off right there was 12 guys, and one of them didn't work out that well um, with Judas. But he walked with them. He taught them. He ate with them. He served with them. taught them to pray, to trust God. 
He showed them who God is, right? In John 17, 6, Jesus says, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. Discipleship is a continued revelation showing people, pointing people to who God is, explaining it. They put their faith in him. Now you're starting to explain and learn and grow. Invite people to church. We realize that we couldn't do this. We have about 1,200 people that come out to our activities each month. And we don't have the time or the resources to, as we share the gospel, disciple all those people. We have discipleship groups, but we realized that we need the church. We need the church. Really, in essence, we, what we do in our neighborhoods should come alongside the church. It's parachurch ministry. I believe in the work of the church, and we need churches in each of our neighborhoods to continue the discipleship of the people of Gladys, of people like Gladys. We can't do it. You know, we, we have kids programs where kids come out and they learn a ton about the scriptures, but when they age out, when they turn 12 or 13, if there's no connection to the church, what happens? God works through his church. That's where the disciples are made. That's where that Matthew 28 comes into play. Go and make disciples of all nations, right? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That happens in the church. Ephesians 3.10 says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That happens through the church. People learn about the wisdom of God. When you share the gospel, share the gospel and then invite people to church. Bring them here under Pastor Ben's teaching. Help them to learn. Help them to grow. Help them to, to plug into these programs that you're talking about. They get connected. I love that. Yeah, they need to get connected so they can continue to be poured into and lives can be changed. Um, that's what we need prayer for. If you think of it, pray for us. It's tough to find good churches here in the States. It's even tougher to find them in our neighborhoods. We found one. We need four more, uh, one for each of our neighborhoods before we can really uh, engage in that discipleship. Be praying for us. Be praying for us. Those little neighborhoods, I think of them like um, really the devil's playground. Like I said earlier, he has a hold on them. And... Um, makes me think of uh, Matthew chapter 16 and how in, in that passage, Jesus is there with the disciples and he's, he's uh, standing on this rock and he says, on this rock, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it tells us earlier in that passage that he's overlooking the city of Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi in that age and that culture was a detestable city, all kinds of wickedness, idol worship, prostitution, um, everything that you can think of was going on in Caesarea Philippi. A lot like Tijuana. And frankly, a lot like areas of Muskegon, right? Um, Satan had a stronghold. And I picture what Jesus was saying, like the gates of hell are like wrapped around this city, trying to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ out, trying to keep the church out. And Jesus is saying, no, uh-uh. No, my kingdom is coming and it's going to break through those gates. The gates of hell cannot keep out my kingdom. <clears throat> That's what the church is about, breaking through those gates, setting up in those neighborhoods, in those areas, and changing lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing one family at a time, one person at a time, homes change, and instead of abuse, there would be, be love and, and, and forgiveness and grace coming in and flooding in so these homes are starting to live out the ways of God and it takes hold and it destroys the work of Satan. <clears throat> Some people have said that Tijuana is the most evangelized city in the world. Could be. 
It could be. Uh, it's right next to San Diego. Church is going on there all the time. But I don't think the church has been set up yet there, though. They go in and they blow back out. We want to dig in, set up churches, and see people grow and come to know the Lord. Bring people to church here. Be about the work of the church here so that as you grow and as you're fed, you're going out into those dark places and lives are being changed. Can this really happen? Can this happen in Tijuana? I believe it can. Many have given up. It's impossible. I, I don't know how God's going to do it, but has God given up? I think of the verse, Ephesians 3.20, that says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or, ima <coughs> or imagine according to his power that's at work in us. Measurably more than we can ask or imagine. Believe. That's the final piece. Believe that God can do that work. Believe that God can work through your church, can work through your life, can work through that conversation that you have with a friend to share the gospel and see their lives change. Sometimes we look at people and we're like, man, that guy's beyond hope, you know? Look at all those tattoos or earrings or wh whatever it may be. Man, I know that guy's story. There's no way. Is God giving up on that person? No. No, he looks in and sees them struggling. They may not show it on the outside, but they, they're just like that person struggling in the water there. They need him. And God hasn't given up, and he's prompting you and prompting me to go and reach out in, in, with the love of Christ and pull him out. This can happen through relationships you have, through trust that you've earned, through sharing the gospel. Put it to words. Don't be afraid. Bridge that gap. Step out. Tell them about the Lord Jesus. Spend time with them. Invite them to church. Be an impact for the kingdom. I want to just spend a moment in silent prayer and, and just challenge you to pray, listening to God about who he wants you to talk to, what he wants you to do, what step he wants you to make, and then commit to doing it. I remember when Becky and I went on that trip, we knew God was talking to us about moving to Tijuana and committing to that job, and we said before the wheels of the plane hit the ground, we're committing to do it. We didn't want to get home and explain it away or just get back into the daily routine. What can happen on a morning like this is God can be speaking to you about something, and you can go home and have lunch, late lunch, whatever, and you go back to work, and you kind of forget, you know? Commit to doing it now. Tell somebody to do it now. It's when we listen to God and put it into action that we grow, and that that's when he, our life takes off and he uses us. So I, I just want you to be serious about this, and I wouldn't expect that you wouldn't be, but spend some time in silent prayer just asking God to show you what he wants you to do for his kingdom work, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for your kingdom work. I thank you for my brother and sisters here in this church and in this place and in this building and in this, this area, Lord, the effect that you're having in their hearts and in their souls. And as they go out into the world, into their jobs, into the schools and their homes, Lord, that uh, as they learn and as they go, as their lives are being transformed, you're transforming the, the world around them as well. And your kingdom is taking hold, and the, and the work of the devil is being destroyed. And I pray, Father, for your power and your might. I pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to convict with truth that we just can't get around, Lord, but we have to act on. 
we have to be obedient to, and we have to trust in you because we know that if you aren't in it, there's no way it's going to happen. Lord, lead us in lives like that, that you may use us to bring light into the dark, dirty places of Tijuana because that's where you would go. That's what you would do. And also the dark, dirty places of Muskegon and here and beyond. And, and I pray, Father, that as we do that, Lord, as your church goes forward, people would come to know you. They would receive salvation, grace. They would honor you with their lives, and their lives would be changed. And we would be together in heaven, all glorifying you forever, Father. That's what it's about, bringing glory to you. So I pray, Father, that you would bring conviction here this morning. And as you speak to people about what you're calling them to do, give them courage. Help them to step forward. Help them to commit to it. Help them to share it with somebody, a trusted brother or sister in Christ that can, that can hold them accountable and help them walk through it and pray for them to navigate that. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would bless them and uh, use them in these ways and Lord, that people would come to know you. Father, I ask all these things in the precious blood of your, of your son, Jesus. Amen. One other thing, and this is very important. If God is speaking to you this morning, and if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life to him and never trusted in, in his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, then I want you to come and talk to me after the service. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to one of the leaders. Make that decision today. Don't wait on that one. Before you go home, before the wheels of the plane hit the ground, commit to giving your life to Jesus Christ, and he will rescue you today. He will forgive your sins. <clears throat> He will give you eternal life.